0: The problem is like you create these institutional burdens and obstacles and we overload these things, but I understand why because people don't have any faith and the hope is, well, the longer they're in class, you know, maybe they'll go to mass more, which they don't, they go to class and not mass 55%. We did a survey one year, 55% of the kids, their families do not go to Sunday mass, but the kids go to weekly class. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. My name is Mike Gomer-Gormley, and I am joined by Dave, world record holder, Van Vickle. How are you doing, Dave? <laughs> world, world record for what? I'd love to know. Uh, I don't know, but I, I looked at my bookshelf, uh, my, my image on screen, and that's the Guinness Book of World Records, so I saw it and I said it. How about uh, uh, Handsomest Man,
1: Handsomest Evangelist? How I'll about take that? that. I'll take that. How much can you deadlift? Um, right now, I think probably the 400 to 500 range, but I've done 605, 605. I just want to make it fully clear that that night in the middle of the night, I thought to myself, I feel like I should go to the emergency room, but I don't even know what I would tell them is wrong with me. I just, I just, there was something terrible that's all <laughs> i <knew.
0: laughs> I hurt all over <laughs> uh, oh, 605 that's good for a beginner that's awesome i'm You're proud of you keep punk. it going keep it going one day you'll reach my my massive gains yeah yeah yeah
1: one day when i'm old and it's gonna blow <laughs> my back out Please don't do that. Lately it's just been anger based, anger based weightlifting, which is not a good idea. No, that know, is not. That's, it.
0: that's when the collapse of form happens, right? Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of anger, how are things? How are things? What have you been up to the last so two funny. months? I know,
1: I know. Yeah, it's been a rough uh the crazy thing is me and you haven't talked in like know, two or three months. I know. But you have sent me some uplifting text messages. Yeah, so just pictures nice. of me uh with a sunset in the background <laughs> and it just says hashtag blast. So, I think at last time we talked, um, we uh, you remember Amber, we were waiting to go down to Nashville to get her back on another, a, a different kind of treatment to try to stop this growth in her lungs. Well, she we got this horrible virus in the house. All the kids had it. Everyone got it but me, and Amber got it the worst, and she just could not shake it. So, we still haven't gone to Nashville. So, that uh. was kind of a nightmare. Then, like a month and a half ago, my mom um, just unexpectedly had all this pain. She woke up with some in a lot of pain. And went to the emergency room, and they they found cancer everywhere. Basically, she had really no symptoms other than that. And then she was in the hospital for a while. They thought maybe they could do something, but uh, you know, then she was released home on hospice. And so that was really hard because my mom is really kind of the rock of our family, and my wife's so close to her and everything, and she's she's an amazing woman. So I rushed down home to to see her before she passed away and as i'm like sitting there you know thinking like this is the worst thing ever like you know my kids are all sick like my wife needs to go get this treatment i i get a call finding out that i'm being laid off from my work and (laughs) yeah while you were down visiting your mom uh gomer i was literally holding their hand like literally like that was it was like a movie that's what it was like and you know kind of like what not handled in my in my view very well at all like you know like basically i had to fight for just a a month of insurance so that i didn't have to like immediately leave and go home and find a new job as soon as possible you know so so it was kind of a nightmare but um you know god god's always in charge and everything but uh it's just it's hard you know when you work for the church it's like um it's a risk yeah i mean you know that it's it's always a risk to to try to take work i mean it is for everybody right and but in in this situation it was kind of like oh my gosh i cannot believe how down i am and then and then that comes so wow yeah so i'm in the job market yeah (laughs) yeah i was mad you know i was upset because a parish had offered me a job like three months earlier and i turn it down and so I was just kind of like it was all all the things that could go wrong was we're going wrong and mm. so mm. anyways but that's that's old Dave and Vickle here I keep my head up I <laughs> keep my last. head up and I keep moving <laughs> I keep moving. oh man, man. I, I, my mom I you know was able to go back uh, for the funeral and everything and you know I have nine brothers and sisters we were all together and which is so rare you know because mm. we're all adults and have families and um, it was so wonderful. And my mom's funeral was amazing. It was like, you know, uh, I I feel weird saying it, but it's like, I wasn't, I wasn't even like, I'm sad now that I don't get to talk to her anymore. Cause I, I really miss her. Yeah. But um, I just felt like it was like, yeah, she wanted to be with the Lord her whole life. And, and she's on that journey now, you know, and so it was it was it was really awesome. The the musician from St. Anne's in Capel, Texas oh, yeah. did the music for it and uh I got to do the eulogy and it was it was great. So Yeah.
0: The you googly. That's yeah, beautiful. The you
1: googly, so yeah. Yeah. Man, I don't know.
0: you you had said something to me like October was the worst month. Yeah. And I feel like November said, Hold my beer. <laughs> like- yeah, ex-
1: that's exactly the way I felt. And then when I, when I was laid off, I kind of was like, okay, I can't talk about this right now. And I, I had been laid off by this diocese before when, when the mergers happened. Oh, yeah. And they were really awesome about it. Like, they gave me a great severance package. So I was kind of like, okay, everything's fine. I'll get my mom buried, and I'll go home, and I can face reality. Yeah. And that did not happen this time. So it was basically like, nope, you're done. And so it was a shock, you know, because I'm like, uh, even – like this is life or death for us like i have to have health insurance so so it was it, yeah it's been uh it's been a couple months of just really tough trusting in god you know where the rubber meets the road so yeah so what are you doing to get through it um you know i i kind of like remind myself often of like god's providence and and the things that he's always come through with in the past but um you know i just for me i a big thing is to like separate myself from chaos so like i put my phone away i try to stay off the internet i try to do things like that and and be more like just uh quiet you know so that that calms me. like being distracted is what gets me crazy it's like actually thinking through things and just sitting kind of with the lord and my own thoughts is what calms me down so
0: yeah me and you are the exact opposite i yeah, what, do do? Go, yeah, what do you I do I throw myself into chaos, okay because okay. I'm afraid of processing my feelings and being alone with the Lord. That's the difference <laughs> I'm like, well, doesn't uh, it build though? does it build for you? See that uh you know what's funny i I don't know like when we talk about like honestly like processing and dealing with grief, I'm an external processor, right I am
1: yeah I know and all my friends are. It's like, I, it's like, I only, it's like, that's my sign-up sheet. You have to be external process. And
0: it's funny for me because I need, um, like I need that. And when I don't have that with other people, I talk to myself sometimes out loud muttering on a city sidewalk. Um, but, uh, people put coins in my coffee cup. I don't want them to, I was drinking that. Um, but, uh, the, the powerful experience of being able to sit with someone who knows how to listen, right. That's how I process my grief. But I I tend to be the guy that doesn't run to silence. I run to noise. Okay.
1: Right. Like I'm totally like,
0: well, going to watch YouTube and pretend like I don't have any problems.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I literally, I, uh, it's funny because all of my friends are external processors and, (laughs) and I literally like, I can't tell you how many times in a week I say, listen, we're going into this meeting with this person and don't listen to a word they say. Cause they're just everything that comes into their mind. They're going to say out loud, <laughs> let them, let them process it out loud. And then we'll see what they think. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you were first laid off from the diocese because they were consolidating parishes. It wasn't cause you did something horrible and blah, blah, blah.
1: Um, no, I mean,
0: <laughs> um, no, I didn't no. kill that guy, but it no, was uh, you
1: know, like when they're consolidating parishes, I see you haven't gone through this. Nope. Um, you know, all of a sudden you get a new pastor, right? And you have to kind of see compatibility there. Yeah. And we don't have like the huge organizations like you do in Houston, where it's a lot easier to run a small Pittsburgh parish than it is like your parish, right? Like, like a pastor coming in and getting rid of Michael Gormley is a, a massive deal. Right. So that would be a huge problem. Like, but it's not like that here. So it was kind of like, you know, I I was happy to go the last time it was like, you know, probably wasn't a good fit. Mm. Um, but this time I, I was pretty shocked. So yeah, that's awful. I'm
0: sorry, man. So the listeners, right. praying for Dave here. Oh yeah. man,
1: yeah. You know, uh the biggest stress for me is like not. I mean, the Lord always provides for us, but I don't want to make a decision quickly. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I don't want. You're yeah.
0: in desolation. The worst thing you can do is make a quick decision.
1: Right. Right. So. uh Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Speaking of desolation, we have listener emails
1: <laughs> <laughs> from the from the world of church work.
0: Oh, man, <laughs> someone start playing the sad violin right now. Oh, That's funny. All right. Our first listener question comes from uh, comes from Janelle, and she wants to ask about baptism prep. Uh, she says, I seem to recall Michael mentioning sometime back that he was revamping his parish's preparation for infant baptism. I'm interested in doing the same, but don't really have the time to build something from scratch. While there are several programs out there with good information, everything seems to be video information driven. I'm curious what his revision process looks like. Our parish recently began using Witness to Love for our marriage prep. It's a virtue-based catechumenal model and has already borne great fruit for both the engaged and newlywed couples and the mentors who accompany them throughout the process. I've been looking everywhere for something similar for baptism preparation, but haven't been able to find anything. And the witness to love people say, nope, not touching baptism prep. I really don't think our current preparation, a 60-minute class about the baptism's right and the biblical basis for infant baptism is sufficient. If you have any pointers on how to accompany parents in preparation for baptism and beyond, I would be very interested. Thank you. So what do you... What, what do you think in terms of baptism prep? What are some of the negatives and some of the positives?
1: Yeah, I think she's 100% right that the one, the class, the one sixty minute class is tokenism, right? We're just, we're yeah. like, well, we have to do something. So let's just have a class on that. I think you're 100% right there. I also think you're right to do more of a catechumenal model. Um, I think almost everything in the church should be catechumenal model because we're a generation of un, uncatechized people. So we really have to re- catechized people. What I would add in is you are going to meet the occasional couple that are very well-formed and very well catechized and might only need that, you know, that one, that one class. And so I would meet people where they're at for sure. Um, But I definitely, I I was still looking for the perfect model as well when, you know, when I was doing my last baptism prep class. So yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So some of the issues that you're uh, coming across with infant baptism is, You have people who are very devout. You have people who are not very devout at all, right? Um, You have a a spectrum of people, but it tends to be kind of clustered on the extremes, you know, of of the bell curve there. So you have a lot of people who are like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm six months pregnant. Let's get the baptism class done. Let's go and, you know, do this. We pick out godparents because they're devout Catholics who are role models and blah, blah, blah. So within that, um, we were talking about – uh, with my baptism, infant baptism coordinator, we're talking about like, how do we reach the people who do not care, right? And then how do we, or seemingly don't care. And then how do we not overburden bureaucratically the people who get
1: it? So the people who do not care, but they're still coming, is that right? Yeah,
0: they're still coming, not to mass, but at least to the baptism class and, and getting their kids baptized. So how do you deal with um, people who, also the this is the other side of the equation, people who get it. Right, the number one complaint I get from infant baptism is from devout Roman Catholics who are like, "Why do I have to go to another three hour class and do all this stuff?" And it's like, I'm no. with them. Yeah, yeah, I'm with them. Yeah, and and uh, so in our diocese, we have kind of like a policy of every three years, you got to go. If it's been three years or more, you got to go to a baptism class, and uh, godparents are encouraged to come, not required. So the three, the way that they do it here is, is very similar um, to like marriage prep um, recommended by the USCCB, which is essentially. Two stages, remote and proximate. Proximate means, uh, yeah, you're good to go. Here's the basics that you need to know about baptism, the right, whatever. And then remote is, oh, dear Lord, you don't care about Jesus's sacraments. You don't know anything about your faith. You don't know what you're doing. So here's four more additional classes. So basically in our diocese, you need three or seven, I think, three or seven hours of baptism prep. Now, most places don't do anything remotely like that, or if they do, they have few baptisms a year. We have group baptisms of 10 to 15 kids at one time, and we do it multiple weekends a month in English and in Spanish. Okay. So we're a machine, but we don't want to be a machine. Being a machine
1: is terrible, right? Right, it's a factory,
0: right, Yes, That's terrible. Yeah. Right, and so number one, what we try to do is prevent a conveyor belt approach so i call everyone on behalf of my infant baptism coordinator who needs to delay baptism cuz they are not faithful right they're at the Whoa. extreme of the bell curve yeah i mean the church demands that of us right it dem- this is not exceptional uh we we don't get to say um hey i know you don't practice i know the godparents don't practice i know you're not married in the church i know you don't care about this stuff and you don't go to sunday mass at all but i'm still going to baptize your kid because it's a superstitious practice because of your culture right sorry you're not allowed to baptize that kid baptism for infants is predicated on the faith of the parents and godparents
1: okay so let me ask you a question so a person you call a person and say "We, we need to delay this yeah um and they call the diocese the diocese back you up on this
0: uh, I've never had anyone call the diocese.
1: Okay, do, would you? Do you think so? Maybe.
0: I think so. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. okay because great. well, and if they don't, you know, I pull out a 2000 and, what is it 2008 document by the Vatican on <laughs> infant baptism. <laughs> of course you do. That is that literally is all about this question. Like when is a pastor allowed to delay baptism? Never deny. Right. Delay baptism, and when are they not allowed? What constitutes a founding hope? And uh, the document is like six pages long and it really goes through a lot of the stuff like, okay, so the parents don't practice what the godparents do and the godparents say they're going to be involved in the kid's life. You don't you don't have a right to delay or deny baptism. Ah, Okay, you know, and so I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So here's the difference, right? This is the difference. I, I think in my department that I'm the head of, right? Uh, Our motto is to evangelize everyone in our parish boundaries, everyone in our community, parish boundaries don't mean anything, Uh, everyone in our community to evangelize them with the gospel and to uphold the dignity and power of the sacraments. And so what that means is for a lot of us, when we tell people no, we also invite them to mass with us and our families, right? Like we're not just throwing them away and that's the bureaucratic nonsense that people encounter Uh, especially at big parishes where it just feels like this machine that they're just chewing up. Sorry, you didn't fill out your TPS cover sheet correctly, so get out of here. And it's like, no, no, that's not what we're about. Come in, meet with me. We can discuss this stuff, you know. And I can't tell you how many times in the middle of classes I have people who, like this one lady, uh, you know, I am here because I just want to learn more about Catholicism. I, you know, raised Catholic, doesn't have her. I was not intending to get my adult confirmation. I didn't want to get married in the church. And she's like, but now, you know, as of week three, I've told my fiance that we're having a destination wedding. I told them, Hey, this is important to me. We need to get married in the church. And now, I mean like her whole life has changed, right? So that the Lord does this stuff in people's lives when we uphold and defend the dignity of the sacrament. So that being said, um, my baptism prep is three hours um in class godparents and parents are invited to come
1: well a single three hour yeah
0: yeah okay. so instead of spreading it out and we make it nice um we do frequently ask questions right up front so that we clear wow. out okay. yeah it's it's actually this is like the most practical organization the lady in charge of it she's so awesome she does an english and spanish and uh gabby's like no this is how we have to do it i'm sick and tired of people you know, not getting their questions answered. And it's the same questions every time. Can so-and-so be a godparent? Dot, right. dot. So we do all that stuff. That's like 20 minutes. And then we do um, a theology of baptism, the rite of baptism, and um, the role of ongoing faith in baptism, right? Lives of, what is it called? Faith, lives, lives of faith, lives of faith, something like that. There some technical term, but we go through this stuff. And what does it mean to be a devout, faithful person? And then the actual rite of baptism itself, we make our own rite books. I don't know the legality of using the text of the sacred rites, but um, I wanted it customized for our parish, like where our baptism font is, where the altar is, where people stand and stuff. And as we were going through the rite, we found out that a lot of the decisions that we had made about the liturgical structure of it were based on stupid things like photos, like stand here you know, have all the family back here because it makes a great photo op. And it's like, what? What? So, yeah, I mean,
1: it, it's not no, like. No, that's, that, that's the way they all are.
0: Yeah, hard. I mean, and, and it ought not to be that way. And when you make it different, when you actually uphold the dignity of the liturgy itself, all of a sudden it clicks for people. So the other thing that we did was we made. I mean, how many times have you been at a wedding or a funeral or, some, or a baptism rite where. The priest says, the Lord be with you. And like one person responds. Yeah, they don't know. Right. Right. So I we created a mass book for the people. Oh, that's right. Great. So that they can read it because chances are they're sitting in a pew for 15 minutes before the right starts. So it's like, hey, while you're sitting here, here's the right itself. Everything that happens is in red. Everything you say is in black. And. Here is five pages in the back of the book to try to, like, this is the biblical proof of baptism. The catechism says about baptism. This is what Gomer says about baptism. And uh, so I just, you know, while they're sitting there thumbing through the thing, you know, I give them the gospels to meditate on different things. So here's the thing. There's so much more we could do for baptism, but also at the same time, I feel like we burden the sacraments because we don't evangelize. Right.
1: Right. Right. So yeah I was thinking about I had a conversation with somebody at in Dallas about this that and it's i my fault i think that they put so much pressure on sacramental moments because I talked about how that's such a great low hanging fruit mm-hmm. that they felt like they did not put time into you know general evangelization of the yeah. parish, and that is something you have to balance there big time big time, yeah, and the problem with that is.
0: You're administering the sacrament to someone in faith. And the same is true about marriage, right? And this is why the whole reciprocity between faith and the sacraments and the sacramental economy, that epic document from the International Theological Commission, which you can find on the Vatican's website, that's the whole reason why it was written in the first place is because of pastoral experiences. People don't have faith who are presenting themselves for the sacrament and they don't have a knowledge of what the sacrament actually is and what it accomplishes. And so you have a lot of problems here when you're trying to give someone like, Hey, this is new life in Christ. And they're like, who, you know, so that can be very problematic, you know? So my baptism prep is charismatic, but it's still baptism prep. Right. Right. If they, if they have a founding hope, that's legit for the sacrament of baptism, then I can't withhold it from them. Right. I can't. So my baptism prep needs to be baptism prep. And another thing that bothers me is we get hyper bureaucratic about this stuff again, because we're afraid to have conversations outside of the context of a formal church meeting, right? Like classroom setting. And uh, so you have all these problems. I mean, you really do. When you ask the mass to be anything other than the mass and you ask baptism prep to be the catechism and all this stuff and marriage prep with the marriage catechumen, I feel the same way. You have a lot of people who should not be getting married in the church because they don't understand what they're doing. Okay, then you talk to them. You have frank, honest, one-on-two conversations with couples presenting for marriage. You don't not do that hard work because instead what you're going to do is have a bunch of classes. Right? right? Like a year prep for – now, marriage is a little bit different because the people who marry one another are – The couple, right? The people who receive are the also the, the, so if they lack the intention of the church and there's no sacrament that's affected, right? So that's, but that's not the same for the deacon or priest doing the baptism. They're the ones who bear the intention of the church. They're the minister. So it is a little bit more complicated with marriage, but I I think I would like to have more testimonies. Um, Dave, you said that one week about my family sessions and it's like, yeah, we are missing a testimony component from our baptism classes and I would love to get that testimony of people saying something like I was away from the Lord away from the church I was inspired by my child's baptism to come back and go to confession they helped me you know and now you know whatever you can do this too come meet me at mass or
1: whatever you know when you say things like having frank conversations and stuff like that it's it's almost like I've been conditioned to cringe because you get into this mode where like, you know, they're going to go home, some of them, not all of them, some of them, it'll be great, but some of them are going to go home and say, the church denied me this yeah, because of this. And even the devout people in their family are going to say, how horrible at, yeah. you know, St. Anthony Padre Patrick, like that they right. would do that. And it's like, you know, it, it comes down to in the end, like, are we pleasing God or are we pleasing the world, you know? And yeah. Uh, Cause it is, it's, it's hard. These are hard conversations, but real relationships are hard.
0: So what I've
1: discovered is I don't
0: care when people say that because, uh, that's between them and the Lord. If I'm doing it right, right. I do find though (laughs) that it's not the sacramental requirements that tend to tick people off the most. It's the bureaucratic requirements of running a large parish and all this stuff. So the people like we have a, we have three part-time people since COVID responsible for educating and sack prepping elementary school kids, 1300 elementary school kids. Okay, (laughs) I'm the only full-time person in that kind of department. I can't believe it, which is insane. It's insane. Right. But we get it done because I think we run a really good program and I do all the teaching. And so they feel they do all the admin, which I would be terrible at. But the crazy thing about that is, when we have to set deadlines and if we set a deadline hey classes kick off the second week of september so registration ends the last week of august okay right that's what we do at our church the month of august is the month of registration well on september 1st we get all these rage and hate emails but in the back of the day we used to have a late registration that was in mid-september to the end of september And on October 1st, we would get the same number of hate (laughs) because there are people who procrastinate and they don't read their emails correctly and they don't register their kids. Well, guess what? You can home study. You teach your kids at home.
1: You know, it's fine. Let me me ask you a stupid question. So let me give you a stupid answer. Okay. So a kid doesn't register in time Mm. and you say, try again next year. No, we say here's home study.
0: Do it at home. It's the same books. And and then, but the problem is the sacrament. So here's the bureaucratic stuff: the the church in trying to foster a culture of faith formation slaps a prereq of one year before your sacramental year. So you have to be in some form of faith formation one year before you receive your sacraments. A lot of dioceses are like that. Wait, what? Non homeschooling? Uh, no, no, no. Homeschooling counts. It could be homeschooling. Um, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. 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 Home study. uh, We call it home study. Um, Home study, uh, Catholic schools and our weekly faith formation classes. So you can pick one of those three. So the idea being you're having a lifelong faith formation. Right. 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 So but what that really is boots on the ground. Practicality is you just created to your first communion program. Right. You're one and you're two. You just create a two year confirmation program. You're one and you're two. You don't call it a year one. Actually we do now at St. Anthony's because I'm so sick and tired of people. They just misunderstand. And so we're like confirmation year one confirmation year two. The two totally different programs are run two totally different ways, but we have to call it that now. Um, But the uh, the problem is like you create these institutional burdens and obstacles and we overload these things. But I understand why, because people don't have any faith and the hope is, well, the longer they're in class, you know, maybe they'll go to mass more, which they don't. They go to class and not mass. Fifty five percent. We did a survey one year. Fifty five percent of the kids, their families do not go to Sunday mass, but the kids go to weekly class. Well, actually, I think that's a pretty good number nationally. Take that nation, <laughs> isn't that sad? We're number one, <laughs> isn't that sad? Yeah, it is, it is, it's horrific. And so, but, but like, I think there are impulses within this because everyone feels busy, everyone feels harassed, everyone feels demanded and put upon, but they don't prioritize church, they prioritize school and sports, of and of course, right. you know, booster club and all that crap. And it's amazing because this is turning into church worker rant email or rant episode, but (laughs) this is, these are the struggles of baptism prep because you have faithless people coming. So what do you do? Well, if there's a mustard seed, I will work with you. If there's no mustard seed, I will still work with you, but it takes on a totally, it does not look like you're in class for baptism prep, right? It has to be something different. So I offer these classes all the time for, you know, for all sorts of different reasons and people come. And I have to make sure they get the kerygma, right? That's the, that's the initial thing of all of our prep. They have to get the kerygma. So I just did uh, first communion prep or first reconciliation preparation. I went through Luke 15, uh, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son, right? The prodigal son. And in going through that, I'm proclaiming the kerygma mostly to the parents, but also to the kids. And we remind them, right? We remind them of, you know, as Catholics, we have to go to confession once a year. If it's been more than once a year for you as a parent, you have to go to confession before your kids do, right? Be be an example, be a witness, be the leader of the family. You know, you say all those things, but then in the end, it's like, okay, obligation, obligation, blah, blah, blah. Right, it's like, yeah. right, it, it's about Christ. And so if I propose the gospel to you, and bring you into a relationship with him, then all of this stuff doesn't isn't an external obligation. It's an internal desire. And that's what
1: the charisma does if it's allowed. You know what you should do? What? You should videotape one of these conversations. Okay. So that people can see it. Yeah. Because it just doesn't, I mean, they're just so (laughs) nervous about it and they don't (laughs) see a way. You know, unfortunately, I hate to say it, but like DRE and parishioner has become an adversarial relationship. Oh, absolutely. Because of this. And and that can't be, that can't be. Yeah. I uh, I was on campus at Franciscan uh, a couple of weeks ago, and um, I met these like three students, and they're all catechetics majors, and they started talking to me, and they asked me like, "What do you think like the number one skill is like for working in a parish today?" And I was like, "Well, I don't know. You put me on the spot here, but I think one of the top five skills for sure would be be able to communicate anything in the church charismatically." yeah because it's like you gotta do both now, you can't ever you know abandon one without the other unless you're in such a specialized situation mm-hmm. uh because you're right, it's like no matter what you do, you gotta both catechize and evangelize a- in every instance,
0: yeah, yeah, and you find that um for most people most of the time um the gospel is such a foreign thing, and so having every one of these touchstone moments be uh, of the sacraments be evangelizing is important, but then at the same time, it almost becomes like a, a, a simony, right? Or you yeah. know, what do you call where you're paying for the sacraments? Right? Oh, no, it does. It's, does yeah, it like it, but right? you're paying with their time. Like, no, 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 you need to come to these 12 classes. <laughs> no, no, no. exactly true. Yeah. And it's deadly dangerous. Now, the, another difference though, from baptism to marriage is marriage are two adults coming together and the success of the marriage, kind of the Catholic thing about marriage is that it's permanent, right? Right. And so the permanence means you actually got to want to stay together, which is another difficult thing. That's a life skills thing. So I can understand marriage prep being longer because you're teaching them life skills that they otherwise don't get. And, but baptism prep is a little bit different. Yes. You can make an analogy. Well, yeah, you need life skills to raise people Catholic. Absolutely. But, there are 500 other things at the parish that do that. You know, we just need to be really good at doing
1: that. Right. And you know, mo- most of the annulments that are going through are failure to bond annulments. So yeah. you, I mean, we have to address that for sure. So, yeah.
0: And lastly, I'll just say this before we throw it to a commercial break. When, uh, one skill I would encourage, there's a book called crucial conversations. Most. Important- uh, I loved it. You, you mentioned it before. Yeah. And the, the, the simple way of breaking it down is, Um, When you have uh, an expectation, when there's a gap between expectation and reality, right, you have to be able to have a conversation about it. You got to confront it. And I'm not a confrontational person, but I've become very comfortable in it. And it's simply this. Don't lead with your interpretation of events when you're having an uncomfortable conversation. Everyone does that. You're a lazy employee. You want to know why? Because you come in late. You leave early. Well, my wife has cancer. Well, that's a thing. Okay. Sorry. You know what you want to do. Is you sit the person down and you go through the facts as objectively as possible. Hey, you've been coming in late on Monday and Thursday on Friday, you left way early, blah, 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 you know, whatever you lay it out very carefully and as objectively as possible, which means you are draining yourself of emotion. Most of most of the crucial conversations is prep work to get you to calm the heck down. And then at the end of the list of facts, you supply your interpretation. Makes me feel like you don't care about your job. And then you end it with, but I'm open to being wrong. Tell me what I'm missing. Are are there facts here that I'm not paying attention to? If you just do those three things, you will have incredibly, incredibly different conversations um, Mm -hmm. with people. So, you know, I sit them down and I say, listen, you're not married in the church. The church, in the eyes of God, you are not married. You're civilly married. The church wants you to have a sacramental marriage. You want to have a sacramental marriage and we want to support you in any way, shape or form that we can. So all you have to do right now, just email Katie here at the church and she'll get your the ball rolling on this and you can start to discuss how to, you know, deal with your destination wedding, but also <laughs> realize, right. Cause there, you know, you have these civil destination weddings and that's the big wedding. What do I do with my Catholic wedding? Right. And, you know, they have all these, you know, sad, but true realities. But okay, we can work with that. I I can work with any mustard seed, bro, right? Yeah. But then we say, yeah, but then we say, uh, but you know what? Like you also, because you're not married in the eyes of God, you have to refrain from sexual intercourse until you're, well, for how long? That was a person, they they were like, okay, for how long? I was like, what do you mean for how long? For your whole life until you're married. That's for how
1: long? Right.
0: And they were like oh uh, okay and <laughs> like, i was like the
1: priest available tomorrow
0: yeah <laughs> i said this is why you have devout roman catholics when they get engaged often their engagement is very short uh but the difficult conversations people don't want to have that I, mean, I actually had the priest in charge of the tribunal about five years ago tell me he's never heard of a single dre telling couples to refrain from intercourse so that they can have they can return to the sacraments you know was if you he saying a, it positively well, he was shocked that I was having that conversation. And I said to him, he goes, that's why we tell people like get your marriage right before you become Catholic or before you get your adult confirmation. Uh. And I said, but isn't it sinful for them to be having intercourse right, right now? And right. he'd be like, right. Well, yeah, but and I was like, so what you're basically saying is keep doing this stuff until it becomes legitimate and then we'll bring you into the church. And I said, I think I want to I think I want holy parishioners more than I want non-complaining parishioners. And he just said to me, he goes, well, you know, it's practically impossible for people to do that. And he was a priest. And I go, you do
2: you refrain, right? Are you,
0: are you Superman? He's like, it's okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I, so I told him the types of conversations I have, and it was a long pause. And then he goes, I don't think a single other person is having that conversation in our diocese. I'm like, "I, I, I don't know if that's a, if that's true, but we need
1: to start educating people on how to have those conversations. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's that's a part of dre and church work that you don't people just don't realize yeah. how what a big part of it is. It's very true.
0: All right, we got to throw it out to an advertisement, y'all. Um, we just want to let you know that we are about to go on break. So if you want to be kept in the loop, you need to subscribe to the show. Text EKSB to three three seven seven seven. Our new season is going to start in February. It's going to be awesome. God bless y'all. We'll be
2: right back. Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz and I want to tell you about my latest podcast launching January 1st, The Catechism in a Year. Where we will read the entire Catechism of the Catholic Church over the course of 365 days. That is the 2,000 years of the Church's beauty and truth and teachings of the Church that Jesus Christ himself founded coming to contact with us and allowing that contact to change our lives. You know, after the Bible, the Catechism is the most important book for Catholics. The Catechism is much, much more than a reference book. It is the distilling, the unpacking, the summary of all that Christians have believed for hundreds and thousands of years and what Christians believe today. To see what we'll be reading each day, get the reading plan at ascensionpress.com C-I-Y.
1: Welcome back to Every Knee Shell Bow. I hope you were able to uh, listen to the wonderful products offered by our friends at Ascension Press. We love being a part of the Ascension Press community. And as always, we love getting your emails. We've been talking about baptism prep here today. And you know, I'm, I was thinking baptism prep, uh, sacrament prep, all of these things, they, they're such big aspects of parish work and parish life. Right now, as the year draws to an end, like, Going, will you reevaluate or kind of look at what you're doing i know like every year like in january i would start to look at okay what are the most important things i do in my job and i would start to make a list like how can i improve those because i want to be good at you know those whatever five ten things uh did you ever do any of that one year oh uh, all the time so every august was
0: rereading tradende to get my catechetical brain focused correctly but uh end of the year so i'm super excited um me and my wife now have a policy of not traveling during christmas Ooh, nice uh so that we can actually have a, a christmas traditions and stuff with our family our, yeah. our kiddos and that's enabled me this is gonna sound crass but to work <laughs> when everyone else in the office is gone oh, and right. so i get a lot right now um the parishioner emails are falling away most of my AFF work, adult faith formation work is ending. I just had my last adult confirmation class last night. And uh, so that whole experience means I'm free to plan the urgent, wait, the uh, necessary but not urgent, right? Love it. And so, um, yeah, evaluating. This is where I do a lot of reading and rereading of texts of books. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts and YouTube videos. I just listened to one that was really critical of marriage prep. Uh, like it was like a traddy, um, podcast where they were just railing on the latest bishops thing. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, I can kind of filter all that stuff out, but his criticisms I took to heart about, you know, the current like marriage catechumen and stuff. So we're revamping marriage prep right now. And that's all the discussions that we're having. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? How did you, how do you do the, the Christmas time, January time?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I always look at like, okay, what are the things I'm spending the most time on? what are the things that stress me out the most and and try to try to really look at those kinds of things and uh and then the things that I'm you know seeing the most fruit from because uh it, it is it's a great time you know right now is a great like what Gomer mentioned like you know it the demands of the parish are lower for non-liturgical people right non-clerics yeah um and so you can get you can get to things a lot uh, a lot more deeply than you normally would and so it's a it's a good time if you are working for a parish if you're in evangelization take this time now uh, a new year to kind of reevaluate you know the i don't know maybe five most important things you do and um make a plan to get better at those things yeah Absolutely. And one thing that can help you get better is do meetings
0: better. Yay. Do meetings better. I'm like so obsessed. I am on this tear with meetings. It is okay. It's kind of absurd how much I've done it. But uh, this deep dive, I have felt more in the loop with my own employees, with their problems, with their personal stuff. Uh, with my coworkers, my fellow directors, my clergy, I felt more in tune and in touch with them in the past three weeks of my obsession over meetings and ranting. I literally anyone who would be like, "Hey, Mike, how you doing?" I'm like, "Awful. I have to go to four meetings today. That's eight <laughs> hours Like they'd be like, "Okay, I'm sorry. I just want to get a cup of coffee and say hi as I walk by your door." Oh, but everyone, I've sat them down and I've talked about these like meeting structures and stuff. I'm going to throw up. Here's here's a little nugget. You ready for this? Yeah, I can't wait. Okay, Claire Hughes. Johnson, if you type her name in and you type in running effective meetings, she is the COO of Stripe, which is a um, online um, developer tool for payment processing. And she is the most incredible presenter I have ever seen uh what yeah uh i i've given missions at your parish before yeah they were terrible they were terrible no i'm just kidding how dare you (laughs) how dare you sir harrison ford uh no she gives this meeting she's got like three thousand people in this audience and she takes them through how she does a meeting but you don't even know you're in a meeting it is high energy it is awesome and it gets stuff done and at the end she starts writing like categories on the side of this big whiteboard, and she's like and this is how i structure my meeting and you're like oh she just put us through a meeting but i have literally watched this youtube video on double speed because i'm a gentleman 10 times 10 times I literally, I was right when I write my agendas. Now I have her playing in the background to make sure I don't screw it up. So I
1: this, encourage. This went from refreshing to a little bit disordered.
0: You know what? <laughs> Your obsession with meetings is a little disordered. Dave, you should know one characteristic of ADHD is hyperfocus. <laughs> hyperfocus. <laughs> so I live. I spent. oh uh, You want to talk about the 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 week after Thanksgiving when I still didn't have a lot of emails. You want to talk about revamping? I spent literally nine hours watching youtube videos on meetings and taking a copious amount of notes all right Um, listen they're killing me dog this has been
1: wonderful to meet with you although i haven't seen any improvement in this Um, (laughs) the show is still being dragged down by the old boat anchor that is michael
0: gormley i get it
1: (laughs) all right homie it was good talking with you you too i'm excited about our next season god bless you guys adios meetings